Welcome to the Connection Podcast. Today we start a special mini-series called Who We're Becoming. And we've talked about this in episodes before, but the thought behind this mini-series is really that we're constantly in a state of becoming. And over the years, Christ, our heavenly parents, they helped to mold us into something that is totally different than it was before. And hopefully, you know, as we continue to study the gospel, we're growing and becoming better in that process. So we wanted to reflect together with several of people who have already been a guest on the show about who we are becoming through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it'll be great. I'm really excited to unveil it today. And until next time, take care of yourself. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We're excited that you're here to join us for this new mini-series called Who We're Becoming, and we have a lot of special guests and co-hosts with us today. So first of all, the person we're interviewing today is Tina Marchant. Welcome back, Tina. Thanks. Good to be here. For the 27th time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for always being a part of this. I love doing it. And we have Christine Fuller returning. Glad to be here. For only like the 10th time. So thank you, Christine. (laughs) Third. Yep. Third time. (laughs) Uh, And then Camille Keister. Hi. Welcome, everybody. So I know that some of you listened to the short that I released about what this miniseries is supposed to be. But for those who haven't tuned into that, we're basically doing a special series in which we reflect on what we have become and how we're changing over the past several years. And so instead of talking mainly about old stories, lessons learned explaining, you know, things about our family. Instead, we're, we're focusing on how we're being fathered and mothered by heavenly parents, how we're using the Spirit to grow, how the gospel has changed us. And so, I wanted to start off, Tina, here, because one thing that you and I have talked about quite a bit over the years is that you've learned how the Spirit talks to you differently as you've come older. And I, I'm just curious if you could tell me more about how that process has been. Um, yeah, for sure. I think actually when you came to me with this idea of this this little mini series, that was the first thing I thought about was how that's changed for me. Um, and super recently, I've just figured out recently kind of how the Spirit speaks to me. And I don't, I don't know. I felt really broken when I was younger. I didn't feel like I was sitting in the spirit at all. And um, I would ask questions, but I rarely got answers. I could maybe on one hand go with how many times I thought that the spirit was speaking to me Um, and some answers that I got. And they were really crucial answers. I needed them for sure. And I think that was just like the Lord finally broke through and was like, you are not paying attention. (laughs) And it was probably there a lot earlier and I just didn't recognize. Um, So recently I've really been I've been blessed with opportunities that I needed the Spirit a lot more um, than I thought. Uh, first, working in girls' camp. So we had a lot of decisions to make with uh, – we used to do like a head state girl. And I think that's when I first started noticing the change was I had to choose this person that needed to be directed by the Spirit, and I had no idea how to do it. And that was when it was just like all of a sudden I would think of this girl, and I was like, well – that's really interesting. <laughs> I was like, what if? What if that was the one, you know? And and it would just keep coming back to me. Like the name of that person would just keep coming back to me. And I think that was the first time that I noticed, oh, this is like, this is something that's happened to me a lot in my life. And I just didn't realize that that's what that was. And it became really clear, like, yeah, that's the spirit. Like, 
that's how he's talking to you. And so that's one of the ways that I have really been able to focus on in the last few years, and especially with seminary too. If I have an idea for a lesson and it comes back to me more than once, I need to teach that. Um, so that's one of the things that I learned about the spirit for myself is it's not so big. We don't have to look for the big stuff. We don't have to be like, oh, I for sure knew that was from the spirit. But more like if there's a good thought, and especially if I have it more than once, I need to be doing that. And th that's really how the spirit has been speaking to me in most recent days. I don't usually hear voices. I don't, well, I've never heard a voice, but I have had moments where it was like the thought in my head was so strong. I was like, oh, that's kind of like a voice, like almost saying it to myself. Um, I had an experience with that this summer, which was kind of cool. That's a long story. Um, but anyway, like I think that's the thing that I learned to notice was small steps. Like the spirit is really around us all the time and he really is trying to communicate with us all the time. And if we're just listening to the good, we're really in that. We're in that spirit. That's cool. That's a good bumper sticker. I like that. Listen to the good. <laughs> Listen to the good. Yeah. I I like, do you guys watch The Chosen at all? Oh, yeah. Right. I love the Nicodemus episode where Jesus is actually telling him about the spirit and he, he compares it to the wind. Mm. It's just this natural thing that we all understand, kind of. We know it's real and, and we've had experience with it, but I mean, could you describe what it is or right. or what makes up the wind? Probably not, you know, and I think that's how the spirit is for a lot of us. It's a real thing. And unfortunately, I think it becomes confusing sometimes when we try to describe it to people because we're valuable human beings and we're trying to describe something that's beyond our capability to fully understand. Yeah. And so we often do make these grandiose assertions as far as, well, the spirit is like, you know, this dramatic revelation or this voice in my head. And when we don't get that, then we say, well, I don't feel the spirit Yeah. when we're really feeling it all the time. I think it was Joseph Smith that called what you described to me like a sudden strokes of ideas. Mm. And I always, um, when I was the primary president, I had those kinds of ideas with specific names or an idea. And I, the thing that helped me realize that was the spirit was I didn't think of someone else. Right, yeah. Like when I look at the opposite of that, I'm like, but I didn't think of anything except this. So that, so I trust that, mm -hmm. you know, and let me go that, that direction. So I wanted to talk, ask you this question. Do you find your profession fulfilling and why or why not? <laughs> and I loved how you answered this question because you don't officially have a profession. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually been kind of a journey with that too is when I was coming out of university so I was graduating getting ready to graduate and I was at the University of Oregon and we're coming out of our master's program and everybody's talking about where they're going to go teach so I I have a teaching degree and I was and they would ask me and I was like I'm not and they're like what <laughs> and I said well I'm I'm going to start a family and that's what I'm going to be doing with my life and and they were like why why are you even here like what are you even doing here um, so that's been a question that I've had to answer for myself that I think is really hard is to say, well, well, why do we do it? Why do we continue to study? Why do we have degrees or, I don't know, abilities or skills that we've worked on for a long time that we don't currently use according to you know the world? And so that's been kind of hard is when you get together with people is, well, what do you do? I raise four kids. You know, that's my profession. I raise four kids. And at some point that's going to be gone too. And that's like, it's going to be a whole nother conversation with, you know, what do I do with myself now? But for now, my identity is that I raise four kids and that's my professional identity. And that is hard for people to understand. They're one, both 
think I'm crazy because I have four kids. And then at the same time, it's like, oh, well, that's the end of the conversation. Like they don't have anything else to talk about because I don't have a profession in the world to to kind of put out there. So it, I don't know how to make it better, but it, that's is always an awkward kind of conversation. But I like how you're not apologetic about it. You 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 obviously have confidence in your choice. Yeah. And that's big. Many people might and I've fallen into this trap before where I'm like, oh, you know, I just stay home with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, there's a lot there if you choose to make it there. You know, you can make your home a very efficient, spirit-filled, you know, organized home if you choose, or you can just stay home and, you know, complain about whatever. But yeah, well, I, I think we all kind of fall into that. Well, I just do this. Mm-hmm. It's not a just though. Like it's it's big. When you really think about how much you guys how we all do with our kids, like there's a ton. There's a ton there that we do. And it's a hard job. And I think I've just recently gotten better at saying it in that way. Like I raised four kids and I'm proud of that. And that's what I do. And it keeps me busy. But also there are hours in the day when I'm not as busy now that they're all in school and and they're a little bit more independent because they're getting in teenage years and they can get themselves places sometimes. And so there is that kind of still in the transition, right? Like, what do I do with those hours? How do I feel fulfilled? And I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I've kind of dabbled in a few different things, but I don't know, still still working on that part. Yeah, I'm curious Camille's thoughts too, because I mean, you recently entered the workforce again, but what was what was your feeling when you did have somebody ask you, what do you do? And and it's like, well, I stay at home with the kids. Well, yeah, I get that question a lot. Like, what did you, why are you working now? Because <laughs> it's like, well, my kids are at school all day and I am not quite sure what to do with my time. So might as well fill it with something that I enjoy. And I enjoy working. Um, Right now I work as a medical assistant, but before that I worked at Crumble. Yeah, I just wanted something I could do that was fun and to interact with other people. I do want to be home, you know, for my kids when my kids are out of school to, you know, be there for them because they they like that. And it is, I enjoy being with my kids. I'm just curious. And you know, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry, everybody here, but I do think there's this intense societal pressure to be something other than just a mom, quote unquote. I just, I wonder if you feel the weight of that and how you reconcile that and, and still understand your worth and, and value because you definitely have it. What do you think, Christine? I think I've said a lot about it. <laughs> I think we need to stop saying just a mom because it is more than just being something. It's you're raising humans to, you know, hopefully be good humans and kind and hard workers and loving and, you know, just to help kind of change their little small world that they interact with to become better. My sister and I were just saying, uh, talking about this because she also has stayed at home with her kids and we're both kind of to a place now where both of us are saying, why did we choose to do this again? <laughs> like it's, we look back at the years and think, what, why did we originally choose this? Why was it that we didn't go into the workforce with our husbands? Because many people choose that, even with little babies. And when I go back to that, I have to figure out my why. I, I had a why at the time. And I needed, when I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about it now, I go back and I think, well, my why was I didn't want someone else to be with them. I wanted to be there as hard and tedious as that was. I wanted to be the one that was changing the diapers and wiping the nose and snuggling them and getting them ready for their naps. And like, I wanted to be doing that. 
that so I think as long as I can remember that why because I can go in the weeds of like why did I choose to do this? <laughs> <laughs> Those hard days. There's no money. <laughs> there is yes. a hard day. That's too. the hardest part for me is like there's no paycheck with this as far as like cash, right? There's definitely a paycheck of just you know the time that you give to the kids and the what they do with their lives, but. Yeah, I think like seeing them grow and like mature and also succeed in the things they try and even just helping them when they fail. And it, it feels good to to be the one to be there to help them through those hard times that they have and through those joyous times they have as well. Yeah, I think my definition of success as a mother was not the way that my kids end up, but the way that I showed up like for yeah. them mm-hmm. and, that, and the way that I needed to show up was to be there, was to just not be in the workforce, to be 100% focused on what was happening in my home. Yeah. But I, I just feel really fortunate that I was able to do that. Like, yeah, that was a choice position. I could make. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that they just really desperately need the second income, and it's not actually a choice they could make if they wanted to. So I, I do feel really blessed in that, that I got to be and I still get to be there. Like when the kids come home from school, they just come and like not only do they unload all their stuff, which is crazy, <laughs> but they just unload all their stuff, right? Like they get in there yeah. and like this happened at school today or we were talking about this in class and like how do you feel about that? And we've had really crazy, emotional, deep conversations right after school. So like just the blessing of being there in that transition time, that's what my mom always called it. I think it came from an old conference talk a long time ago, but to being in the, in the transition times is like so crucial. Yeah. Cool. Well, Camille, what did you want to talk with Tina about? Is there a habit that has improved in your life in the last five years? For sure. So I got called to be a seminary teacher um, a couple years back, and that has definitely changed me. And it's definitely a habit I've had to develop is like an intensity of scripture study. I used to study the scriptures like everybody else, and I loved it. And I do love the scriptures. And even at BYU, the religion classes were for sure my favorite, kind of nerdy like that. I just love learning background and and the different people that are in there and the storylines and all that stuff is really, really interesting to me. But being a seminary teacher is like a whole nother ballgame. All right, right. Christine knows and Camille's learning. <laughs> It's a whole new ball game. The intensity in which you have to get into the scriptures and then to think on top of what am I learning, but also what am I going to bring? Um, what can I help these kids learn is just a different way of studying the scripture than I've ever had to do before. That I think it's, it's changed me as a person for sure. I I think it improved my relationship with with my Heavenly Father and with Jesus. Just me getting in there being like really intentional about it and also doing it for somebody else. I think that has changed me completely. So what's like a practical tip you would offer someone who maybe wants to be that way but doesn't mm. know how to do it? I try to be really intentional about the time of day that I study. Uh, I will think I usually like to do the morning and be consistent with that because if I stick to that, then I know I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it in a way that I can be focused. Sometimes I can't get to it in the morning because I have other things and then I have to think intentionally, when is the next space of time when I'm going to be alone? Because <laughs> I think I can't be super intense in the scriptures if I'm not by myself. I get distracted really easily by other people. So that's really important. I think think about what you need to not be distracted um, is a really practical way. Some people like to be in a certain spot. Like I'll always sit at my desk. I'll always have pen and paper. 
because sometimes I'll want to study, like I'll put a podcast on my ear, but I have to listen to it again, sitting at my desk with pen and paper, or I miss the things that I need to teach. I think that's one of the things I do is try to be really consistent with that time. Oh, I thought of something else now. It's like gone out of my brain. Well, I, we'll give you a second to think of it. Was it, I was curious too, because you said it was a, you know, a, a study that's evolving and, and getting better for you. Mm-hmm. Was it seminary? Did it feel like that was the big catalyst or or what drove you to change your study habits? It was definitely seminary because it was, now it became, I'm responsible for other people's learning, not just my own. So it just became a much more like, it was pressure at first and it can be overwhelming sometimes and exhausting for sure. Like it's exhausting to be in the spirit and in the scriptures that hard all the time, um, but also super rewarding. It's probably the first place I've really felt like this is for me, you know, and I thought that a little bit when I taught Sunday school and I was like, working with the youth is so my jam. Like, I just <laughs> love doing it. And then when I hit seminary, it was every day and I was like, this is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it just became so much more rewarding. And I was like, this is what I was meant to do. And I can see it kind of through that lens. So that helps motivate me. But yeah, it definitely was the catalyst. That's kind of neat. And it, it gets in more with the theme we're talking about of becoming as well, because it sounds like you're starting to figure out what you're meant to do, where your talents are, and, and where God is guiding you right now yeah. in your life. That's really neat. I think that does change over time, too. Yeah. Like I think it can be something else later, but right now, it's this is what it feels right. It's also interesting, though, that you got a teaching degree, yeah. and now you're, you're a teacher. You're not getting paid, but you're <laughs> a teacher, true. so you get to figure out if that's what you want to do, Beco- if that's what eventually what you want to mm. become when you have. Like if I want to go back to the classroom? Yeah. I get paid. That is solid no right yeah. now. But. <laughs> but maybe a gospel classroom. Because it's different. I have an elementary school degree, so I can... I don't want to go back to elementary schools uh-huh. at this point. Like, I think the older kids is kind of where I was meant to be. And maybe that came from not knowing who I needed to be in college, but that I needed to to study. And I, for sure, the things that I learned there, I bring them into the classroom all the time. Like, there's a lot of things that just carry over to all ages, but... Mm. I have another question, too, about studying the scriptures intently and, and how we change as we grow. Do you feel that you relate to the scriptures differently than you would have, you know, several years ago? And if so, how? Um, for sure, yes. I think I relate differently. The how is a little trickier. Um, I think that I am learning to see application better. Um, I am a puzzle seeker. Like I love puzzles and I love putting pieces together. And so whenever those pieces come together, where it's like, oh, Paul said this. Oh, that's like how it fits in my life right here. You know, like that kind of fitting that puzzle piece in just, I don't know, there's a lot of energy in that. And um, so I think that the scriptures energize me like they didn't used to, if that makes sense. That's great. I like it. I think that's a good tip, to, though, for people is to try to find a way that works for you that does energize you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm like, for instance, I'm finding with my kids who really want to read the scriptures on their own, they can't seem to do it. Mm. And they haven't figured out what it is that energizes them. So that's a great way to put that. Yeah. Good, I think it's very liberating, honestly, to yeah. think of it that way. Yeah, because it will be different. I know a lot of people that really just like to flop open the scriptures and read like that spot, and that really catches their attention, and they can feel the spirit really strongly. 
I like to bring in a lot of context. I like to listen to people who are super smart and and get background information. That really energizes me because then it helps me see the, the scriptures as relatable. I like information. I think you just got to find, I love that, like find that way that energizes you because it's going to be different for different people. Yeah. yeah and like I think even it. for some youth, I just I tell them, okay, you don't read right now. Do you, do you watch videos? Like, I, I think that's another way you can be energized by the scriptures. Yeah. And I had one student told me, um, Liam Woodward, he told me one time because I was really harping about paper scriptures because I love my paper scriptures. I love to write things in the margins. I love to mark them up. Um, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And he was just like, I can't do that. If I pull out paper scriptures, I can't focus. Like it is not where my brain goes. And he goes, but if I do it electronically, like making those connections, he goes, it's just so much easier for me. And I was like, it was like an eye opener to me. Like I need to stop like saying this is the only way, you know, mm-hmm. and to start seeing that other people have different ways. And and so that's how we bring it to the classroom now is like, what works for you? Let's figure it out. Let's let's get excited about the scriptures. I wanted to talk with you a bit about something you and I discussed not too long ago, which is the the worst advice you ever received. <laughs> and it's a, it's a common piece of advice that a lot of us get on our wedding day. What was the worst advice you ever got? Okay, so this is directly applicable to me because it doesn't make sense for me. So the worst advice I ever got was don't go to bed angry because that is not my personality. I don't like to keep going and keep going and keep going with a, with a conversation or an argument. Like I get really mad really fast. And once I'm there, it's like really hard for me to hear anything. It's really hard for me to communicate anything. Um, I'm so emotional. I can't even speak most of the time. It's just not a good place. And so a lot of times I just have to get up and go somewhere else. You're like, I'll go sleep on the couch. And and Alan's like, what? Why are you going to the couch? And he's very this, don't go to bed angry. Like it fits his personality. He wants to keep talking about it until he resolves it and we can put it away and be done with it. And the more I go, the more angry I get. So it's it's just not good advice for me. I need space. I need to kind of work it through in my own mind. A lot of times I need to talk to somebody else about it before I can be like, okay, I'm okay with this now. And then then I can come to some kind of resolution about it. But I, I can't do it in the moment. So that advice has never been good for me. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I think one way in which I've changed is when I got some bad news or I got in an argument with somebody, I, I felt like this intense pressure that that needed to be resolved at that very moment. And it's it's kind of like a quick fix mentality. Not saying that for some people it doesn't work, but for me, it was not the right thing either because it, it was a desperate move to try to remove some discomfort. And what I've learned over the years, and maybe we could talk about this too, um, if you guys can relate, is sometimes I just need to sit with discomfort. Mm. Like I, I need to process that and be comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> Even if it means I have to really reevaluate how I'm treating my wife or my kids or my friends. Yeah, I, I think that's when we get a lot of really thoughtful and helpful solutions instead of the quick fix. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? Don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about feelings. (laughs) He's like, nothing has been fixed. What are you talking about? (laughs) There hasn't been a quick or a long fix. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I, okay, you can edit all that out. (laughs) I think when I'm upset, I, 
I tend to dwell on it and I want to fix it. Sometimes just thinking about like if it's between Jason and I, he doesn't want to sit and talk about it quite right away. So that's for me, that's been helping me try to live in that discomfort just for a little bit. And even with like if with the kids or whatever, just me trying to just calm down and not get emotional about it and just not talk about it while I'm still in that emotional state and try to, you know, get the facts instead of emotions. So it doesn't explode all over the house. That's one thing I do like (laughs) a lot about getting older is that when you're in, when you're younger in particular, everything feels like it's at risk and in danger. Mm. And, and when you live long enough, you realize that there's some stability in your life and you can sit with certain things instead of having to fix them because of some imminent threat Mm. to your relationship, to whatever. That's such a good point. Like we've, we've, this is our first rodeo and it's okay to have conflict. It's okay to have disagreements and it's okay for them to sit a little. And sometimes they don't get really fully resolved. It's just okay, you're like this, I'm like this, let's figure out how to make that work. And I love you anyway. And we're going to, and there's no problem with, not even a marriage, but like in this, I was thinking in this day of texting, if you're mad, you can just, and I say this from experience this week, I sent off an angry text. It's very unlike me, you guys, but I got very, uh, I, I got very hot and I just, I can't let this, and I clicked send and then I was like, (laughs) and you guys to this moment it's been like four days i'm still like why didn't i just not press send but so there is moments where like you said you just have to be uncomfortable and you also really do have to consider president nelson's most recent advice which is how can i be a peacemaker in this situation yeah and usually sending an angry text it's not, <laughs> doesn't <laughs> fall into that category. Now I have to be a peacemaker after the fact. It's way harder. Yeah. And I find that I need time to process those emotions. Like, why Why did I get so triggered? Yeah. Like, why did that happen? And a lot of times I can see myself causing part of the problem better if I let it sit. Or um, sometimes I'll write. Like, I'll I'll write it in a letter form. Like, these are all the things I wanted to say to you, and I said them poorly. You know, and a lot of times it comes out way more loving than I would have said, you know, when we were in the middle of the argument, just because I wasn't ready to be in that space. But if I take the time to sit down and write it, then I'm like, okay, I can see this is what I need to work on. Here's the the things that are still bothering me. Like, what can we do about it? It just, it comes out more loving to me. I don't know if he sees it that way. I hope so. Like, because there have been times when I just like leave a letter for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hope that it's like gives him time to process too. Like, and I feel like that works for us in a, a lot of times. Yeah. So don't go to bed angry is is not my call sign. Oh, that's good. I that's- concur. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this special episode of the Connection Podcast, part of the mini-series called Who We're Becoming. We hope you join us for part two of our interview with Tina Marchant.